can, can we just give God glory for the fact that we have reached our missions goal for last month? Man, listen, I, I am so excited about what God is doing. I, I love the fact that we get to have times of, of praise and worship through music, through the word. But I'm just telling you that when we give in obedience, I think that that's just a special kind of worship. Um, when we set this goal, even Donna had told me you know, in, the, in the committee when they were talking about it, they were all kind of like, well, that's a, that's a big number. You know, we got a lot of other stuff going on. Giving is up, and, and we're trying to cut the rope, and there's a lot of other things we're doing. And so they're, they're kind of back and forth a little bit, but they felt convicted. That was where God landed them. And so that was the goal that we set. And praise God, and thank you, church family, for your obedience. We can say that we reached that goal. And, and not just that we met that goal, but that money is going to be specifically and intentionally used to advance the gospel on the local level, state level, national level, and in the world. So thank you so much, church family, for your giving. If you would, if you got your Bible, stay standing for just a minute. First Peter chapter 4, we're going to go ahead and read while we're standing. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no way to kind of sugarcoat this. We're going to be talking about suffering again today. Uh, I kind of warned you when we first got into First Peter that, that a lot of what, what Peter dealt with in this letter was suffering. And so these are not kind of warm and fuzzy sermons most of the time, but, but this is important stuff for us to look at. So let's read, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, and he's, he's tying this thought up here, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Father God, would you speak today through your word, through your servant, through your Holy Spirit, for your glory, for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. So you may wonder sometimes when we're talking through this book and we're working through all this suffering, and maybe even while you're reading the New Testament, you read a lot of letters from Paul to churches in the New Testament, and he's saying that there's suffering and there's uh, persecution, there's problems, there's pain. There's, and you may wonder, why in the world does the Bible speak so much, especially in the New Testament, about pain and suffering? And to that, I would ask you, have you looked around? Seriously, have you watched the news? I mean, I don't recommend it, but have you just have you just pick up a newspaper? They still make those, right? Look at look at some of the stuff that's coming out about all the the awful, disgusting, revolting, heinous things that are happening. Do y'all is anybody else getting tired? And, and I don't mean this in a negative way of the of the notifications, but just do y'all get a lot of those missing children notifications, the Amber Alerts, and you see the Aaliyah puts out these notices, uh, it seems like every day, it seems like every day there's some kid, some, some teenager, some child that's gone missing. Uh, and, and a lot of times when you read where they were last seen, you think, what were they doing there at that time? 
Y'all, we live in a troubled day. We live in a problematic day. Not, not just the pandemic, but I would say there's a, there's a greater pandemic that we're dealing with, and that's just immorality, sinfulness. It's, it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. We are living in times of peril. Now, I, don't ha- I know that's kind of a, you know, hey, welcome to the 830 service. But take solace, maybe, in the fact that the, the New Testament church was living in that same kind of a day. They didn't have the same digital things we have. They didn't have the same access to uh, information and, and, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, sinful stuff. Uh, they didn't have that, but they still had the, the same disease that each and, each and every one of us was born with. You know what disease that is? Life. We were all born with a terminal condition, Ron, and it's going to get us eventually. You know, surely goodness and mercy are following after me all the days of my life. Let me tell you something else that's following after you. That old ghoulish looking guy in the, in the black uh, hood and the sickle that <laughs> we see in all the cartoons. So, so that, that death is following us. That, that condition of having life means that we're going to die. It also means that we're going to fight the spirit. If we come to faith in Christ, we're going to have that battle that goes on between flesh and spirit. This is how it is. And so we're going to have persecution, we're going to have troubles, we're going to have trials. I want to tell you here that this is not a pleasant pleasant subject, but I think it's one that's critical for us to look at, not only in the fact that the Bible talks about it, so we understand we're going to have to deal with it, but I want to also share with you today there's a solution to that problem. So I want to give you two points today, and there's two sub-points to the first point. I know that's kind of cheating a little bit. But the first point, the first thing I want to talk with, I want to talk about the start with suffering. You have to start with suffering. If you're going to go from start to finish, which is what the title of the message is, you have to start somewhere. And where do we start? We start with suffering. Look at verses 12 through 16. You see a lot of it in, the, in this passage. Uh, and there's two basic truths that I want to give you about suffering, okay? Two basic truths about suffering. Number one, suffering is not optimal. Suffering is not optimal. We would not choose to suffer. Uh, I, I don't like pain. Anybody else? I'm not a fan of it. When I go to the dentist, I want them to give me the gas before I have to pay the copay. Like, I, you know, if I'm getting a cleaning, I'm like, y'all got a needle? Y'all got a little, you give me a little of that stuff that kind of, you know, y'all wake me up when you're done cleaning my teeth? Because I don't like it. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's painful. If you're going to have a major surgery and they said, now listen, we can do this one of two ways. We can do this where we just give you a bullet to bite down on, like they did back in Robert's day. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm picking on Robert. They can give you a, a bullet to bite down on and just work fast, or they can give you a shot and you won't feel anything. How many of y'all going to take the bullet? <laughs> Why? Because we don't like pain. We don't like suffering. It's not optimal. It's not what we would choose. Peter calls it here a fiery ordeal, which doesn't sound pleasant to me. And that fiery ordeal is actually one Greek word, pouresis, uh, and it means smelting. Figuratively, it's used to speak of calamity, and specifically calamity as a test. Now, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, we've, we've studied that, it seems like, a year ago. But he says this, he says, rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. And then he talks about the, the, the suffering we have so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, will result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Romans 8.18, Paul says it this way, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That word work together there, I've mentioned that a few times lately. Sunergeo. Sunergeo is the, is the Greek word. And it means to be a fellow worker or to cooperate. So, so listen to what Paul's saying in that verse. All things cooperate for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. What does that mean? That means that good, bad, and otherwise, all of these things are cooperating helping, aiding us in knowing Christ better, in exalting Christ more loudly, in living a life that points people to the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. And whatever happens, whatever good or bad happens to us, it is, it is a mechanism. It's, it's like gears. It's like cogs in a gear. They're working together. They're cooperating so that we can bring him the most glory. And then it goes on in the next verse, in verse 29, to say that we're to be conformed to the image of his son. That word conform means made similar in form. So stay with me here. The fiery ordeal, the tests that come, the problems that we face, the problems they face, the problems we face, the problems that are of our own doing, the problems that seem like they come from nowhere. You ever had one of those times you're just like, what, what could happen next? You know, what, what, my goodness. Uh, we got done with the church work day Saturday, and I was beat. I mean, I was whipped. And, and I, you know, we, pastors only work one day a week, and Saturday wasn't supposed to be it. So I get home, and I am just, I'm, I'm done. I'm hot and sweaty and stink, and I come in and just ripping off clothes, and I get in the shower. I get out of the shower, and April standing, she goes, Tyler's car is on fire. It's like, oh, of course, it, of course it is. It wasn't literally on fire, but it was smoking like it was on fire. So we go out there and try to figure it out, and I'm like, you know what? It ain't burning. I'll look at it later. I was just, I was too done. I was tired of things cooperating <laughs> yesterday. Even though I know, I, do, I know this verse, but I'm still not happy about it sometimes. Why? Because suffering is not optimal. It's not what we would put on our to-do list or our Christmas wish list. Hey, I hope I get to suffer. I hope I get to go through some trials and some pains. But then I was reminded when I was, I finally got a chance to sit down yesterday afternoon and start kind of reading through and, and, and kind of getting ready for today. And I was reminded when I read this verse that it really spoke to me yesterday. And again, I know that I know that that's a very small thing, having a problem with a kid's car. But some of you parents have had that, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a joy. And, and we've had a few times here lately where we've had these, just kind of these recurring problems with his car, and it's like, I just want it to work. And so I get frustrated, I get aggravated. Then I read this verse as I was getting ready for today, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. I would even ask, I'm going to start working on this one. I would even encourage you to commit this one to memory because I think it is so valuable for us in the day we live. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I got a shower tired and, and sore and, and nursing some, some wounds, I, I didn't want to deal with anything else. And I, I was really having a problem focusing on the eternal at that moment. <laughs> I mean, right then I was focusing on Advil. Where can I get some? 
How many can I take before, you know, like, how many will kill me and then just, like, drop it back one? So when, when, those, when those things are going on, and listen, I know that's light compared to what some of you are going through. It's light compared to some of the things that we've gone through in the past. But at that moment, in the flesh, in my weakness of my flesh at that moment, I was not focusing on the eternal. I was not thinking on the eternal. I was not thinking about how I could give God glory through that event. What I was thinking of was my frustration, was my preference would be not to suffer. Because suffering is not optimal. Number two, suffering is not optional suffering is not optional look at the phrase here he says don't be surprised as if something unusual were happening and here's the thing we need to understand first off if you look at that greek phrase there uh don't be surprised it actually might be better rendered as stop being surprised which encourages me because that tells me that maybe these godly people that we lift up and put on pedestals in the new testament church were actually no different than we are He's like, stop acting surprised. You're suffering. Yeah. Got it. What did you think was going to happen? Don't act surprised like something unusual is going on. Understand that suffering is part of the contract. When you signed up to live, you signed up to suffer. It was in one of those uh, terms and conditions that it all, you have to check that box on your phone or on the computer. Kyle knows this. We talked about this a few months ago with something they were dealing with. You check term, you re, I have read and understood. Check, you ain't read and understood nothing. You didn't read and understand the first paragraph. You read and understood, you start scrolling, it's like, my goodness, what is this, war and peace? I can't read and understand that. I can't read and understand my mailbox sometimes when I'm trying to find my house. I can't read all this and understand it. Yes, check, Let get, go to the next screen. I'm telling you, suffering was part of the fine print. We may not realize it, but I'm telling you, it comes. And unless you're Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, anybody know some of those people? Like you get, you bring them supper. Hey, man, we brought you supper. It's, it's probably going to be cold. <laughs> hey, man, it's, it's your favorite. It's grilled chicken. I'm, it's probably going to make me sick. Probably ain't cooked all the way through. Here's your sweet tea. I bet it ain't got no sugar in it. They probably brought me unsweet by mistake. You ever had those people? So unless you're that person, you probably have a pretty positive outlook on life. You probably think that things are, are ten, typically going to go your way or going to work out. But we still struggle. Even those of us with a positive attitude, we still struggle sometimes because we seem shocked when bad things happen. I've told you this before, but you know the old thing, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a faulty premise. There are no good people. Jesus said that. He said there's none good, not one. Only the Father is good. So why do bad things happen? Because we live on a fallen creation. You know where bad things will never happen? Heaven. But until we get there, we're going to have to deal with them. We may act surprised when suffering comes, but it's part of the deal when we're born. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16, 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. I'm telling you this so you have peace. You will have suffering, but I've overcome the world. That's the, that's the totality right there of how to live a life that doesn't get too high and too low. Is, is having that sandwich of, he say, he's told you all that he told you in the gospel so you would have peace. You will have suffering, but it's okay because he's overcome the world. And then the phrase in verse 13 is one of the most remarkable things in scripture. Listen to this. 
Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Wow. Does that get anybody else? Does that move you a little bit? That I Listen, do you, do you know how awesome it is that we get to say that we can share in anything with Jesus? Anything. I don't deserve to share his sandals. I don't deserve to share the same air that he has breathed when he was living on this earth. I don't deserve anything because I am, I'm, uh, I heard a guy say this last week, he is holy and I am lowly. I don't deserve to share anything. If I get to share in his sufferings, I'm in. I'm just being honest with you. I don't like it. It's not optimal, but it's not optional. So if I'm going to suffer, I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. And then he says, if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. I want to remind you of a couple of things. The concept of suffering for Christ is repeated often in the New Testament. And when we read it, we hear this and we, we start thinking about this suffering that he's talking about. And we really don't have a good frame of reference in our country to be able to compare what he's talking about here. Uh, Christians, believers across the globe in Africa, in, uh, in Asia, in the Middle East, they can relate. They can relate to this kind of suffering because you read about it all the time. Now, believers in Afghanistan right now are being killed. When the Taliban finds them, if they won't renounce their faith, they kill them. Why? Because it's, it's a totalitarianism. We, we don't have that problem here. We, we have, I mean, we have inconveniences right now. And if we don't start making some better decisions in who we elect and what kind of people we elect for, for both parties now, if we don't stop electing people who want power, we start electing people who want to help, who want to serve, we're going to have more persecution. We're going to have more problems. But right now, our freedoms in this country prohibit us from being able to fully grasp what this kind of suffering looks like. And he uses this term share. Uh, it, it's interesting to me when I started looking at this. I want to give you this. I want to talk about three Greek words. And I want you to see how we're going to relate these back, okay? So share, the word share is koinoneo. Now, some of you, when I said that, you, you perked up. Some of you who have studied a little bit of Greek and maybe have heard some of these things before in sermons. But listen to this. Koinoneo means to share with others, to be a partaker. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, 13. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. And then there's the word partner, which is uh, koinonos. Uh, koinonos. I'm sorry, let me get my emphasis on the right syllable. Koinonos. Koinonos. Okay? Sound, sounds similar? A sharer, an associate, a companion. Philemon 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. So now, these two Greek words are closely related to another Greek word that we probably are more familiar with. Does anybody know what it is? Koinonia. Koinonia, what does that mean? It means fellowship. Listen to this. Philippians 3, 10 through 11. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, I'm not preaching Philippians again, but I do want to tell you, just remind you of this. I want you to listen to how these two sentences go together. Paul's goal is to know the sufferings and death of Jesus and he only assumes that he will then be able to re be resurrected to live in heaven for eternity. Did you catch that? He says, my goal is to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and to be conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach resurrection from among the dead. See, 
our goal is to be resurrected to live forever in heaven. And most of us assume that we won't have to suffer to get there. We will. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. If children, heirs, and if heirs of God's co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. If. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Sharing in the suffering of Jesus means fellowship in the family of Jesus and will end at the rejoicing at the revelation of Jesus. But you can't get the rejoicing at the revelation without sharing in the sufferings. You don't, do, you, you don't get to stand outside of the bubble and let all the chaos and pain go on and then right before the end of the race you jump in and go to heaven. That's not how that works. You have to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. We talk about that a lot. You've got to give yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you're going to share in his sufferings. Again, in verse 14, we find this, this word again. We, we saw it, if indeed we suffer with him in Romans 8, uh, 17. Listen, if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, if, big word if, large, two letters, big meaning. Listen to this, Acts eleven twenty six. the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Y'all know this, I'm going to say it again. The word Christian was a derogatory phrase. It was a derogatory moniker they put on them. Little Christ, it was, it was a put down, it was a cut down, it was an insult. And you know what the church did with it? Well, I'll take it. You're going to call me a little Christ? Hey, I'm in. Insult me all you want to by calling me a little Jesus. If, if I live my life in a way that points people to Christ, if that means that I am looking like a little Christ, I will take that all day long. They embraced it. Not everyone is ridiculed for being a Christian because not everyone is a Christian. Now that's deeper than it sounds. <laughs> I know a lot of people think that you're born Christian because you're born below the Mason-Dixon line. Or because my nanny went to church. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Make, what makes you a Christian is living like a little Christ. Living in surrender to his will. I like what Dean and Sarah said. Uh, or J.D. Greer, I think is when he said, said it. You put your yes on the table and then let God put that on the map. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not to come to church occasionally or to... to Put that in your Twitter bio or your Facebook um, description. Or not because you went to church when you were a kid. Or not because you're a church member. I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of people that have their name on membership rolls that are not going to get into heaven. If you're hanging your eternity on a membership roll or some baptismal certificate. I, I, man, I, I want to tell this other story. I'm not going to do it though. There's time. I'm going to tell it real quick. We're doing, we're doing visitation one Sunday afternoon. We go to this guy's house. We talk to him. He's, he's about three sheets to the wind, all right? He's got his, uh, like, Budweiser hat on. You know, he, he's watching a NASCAR race and, and just getting lubricated. And we start talking to him about his faith, and we said, do you, are you a Christian? If you die, would you go to heaven? Oh, absolutely. I know. Well, how do you know that? He said, hold on. Went back to the back, got a Bible, flips through the Bible, finds a $2 bill, and it said, had it written on there in ink, baptized on like June 1st, 1957 by Brother Bob Smith or whatever. And he's holding that $2 bill looking at me and my pastor going, see, see there? Now, you shacked up with some woman, ain't you why? 
You drunk as Cooter Brown here on a Sunday afternoon watching the NASCAR race at 3 o'clock. You ain't been to church in who knows how long. And you're holding up a $2 bill. Let me tell you something. You take that $2 bill and you hold it up to the, to the angel when he comes and starts gathering God's people. The angel's going to laugh at you. Being a Christian is more than what you say you are. It's who you are. And then in verses 15 and, 15 and 16, we're reminded that not everybody, or no, that nobody's going to get out of this thing without suffering. He says, don't suffer as a murderer, thief, an evildoer, a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian. So what does that say? That's saying that there's no way to get out of this thing without suffering. If we can just learn to rejoice in his afflictions, it will help us understand suffering and appreciate the fact that we will one day rejoice in his appearance. Quickly, number two, we're going to start with suffering. If we're going to go from start to finish, where are we going to finish? We're going to finish with favor. Look at verses 17 through 19. In 17, it says, the time is, has come for judgment to begin with God's household. Now listen, if I, when I read that, that should spook you. The time has come for judgment to begin with God's household should send a chill up your spine. It should make you immediately start to evaluate what you've done since the last time you repented of your sins. The last time you went to God and said, Lord, I did not want to do that. I repent of that. Help me not do it again. Judgment, it's time for judgment to begin in God's household. This is not talking about judgment in the same way as righteous or the unrighteous will be judged, but it refers to a pure purging and purifying of his church. I think we're seeing some of that now. On a, on a much smaller scale, we're seeing some of that now. Look at verse 18. If a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. I think it helps a little bit. If the righteous will be rewarded on earth with godly blessings, how much more will the wicked and the sinner be repaid with punishment? Wicked, there's a word that means an actively bad person in the Hebrew. And the word sinner is to miss a mark, to, to not make the mark. So he's saying the people who are actively bad, the people who have missed the mark, what is the mark? The mark is the holiness of God. Here's the dirty little secret. We all miss the mark. That's why we need Christ. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Church, help me here. What's the Greek word for all mean? All. Everybody. Everyone. All of us have sinned, have missed the mark. Peter says we're to entrust ourselves to a trustworthy God while doing good. The word uh, creator here is a, is, a, is a Greek word that means a founder. And it speaks specifically to God as the creator of all things. Every atom, every molecule, everything on this planet, in this universe was created by him. Statistically speaking, intelligent design is the most probable way that this world came into existence. And that's not from a church or a Christian. That's from a secular college who did that as a statistical model. Psalms 10:14. <clears throat> but you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your own hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a father I'm sorry, a helper of the fatherless. You are a helper of the fatherless. 2 Corinthians 1, 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 22, talks about putting our hope in Christ, not only for this life, 
Because if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we're, we're to be pitied. But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It says death came through Adam, but uh, forgiveness comes through Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us that we should not grieve like those without hope, which means without Christ, because he is our hope for eternal life. Romans 6, 5, for if, there's that word again, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Here's the good news for you this morning. I told you I was going to have some good news, even though we're going to talk a lot about suffering and the fact that it's inevitable, it's not, it's not optimal, but it's not optional. Here's the good news. I have read the end of the book. We win. If. If. We've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. I remember when Dean and Sarah was here a couple weeks ago, uh, he said something that was kind of shocking at, at first blush. He said, uh, does God love everyone equally? And I think the Sunday school answer, my, my Sunday school answer anyway, my mind would be, well, yeah. God is love and he loves everybody. And then he went on to make the point that he doesn't love everyone equally. He loves his children differently than he loves people who aren't his children. And, and let me just give you a reminder, God has no grandchildren. God only has children, no grandchildren. You don't get in on your parents or your grandparents' faith. It's your faith. It's your surrender to Christ. It's your commitment to the gospel. And so thinking about that, that God loves his children more than any other children, here's what I would ask you. Let's, let's say that my son, let's say that Tyler takes my truck without asking, okay? Let's say that for some reason I sleep in one morning, which is kind of comical because, you know, I'm getting old. Uh, anybody else don't sleep in? Like, my goodness, what has happened to me? I used to sleep till noon if nobody woke me up. Now it's like 7.30 max. So let's say for some strange reason that he got up before I did and I, I was sleeping in. And when I woke up and I walked out to the garage and looked and my truck was gone. I would be perplexed. <laughs> I would be confused. I'd check my phone. Nobody texted me. Nobody said I'd go looking in the house. Where's everybody at? And, I, and I'm starting to panic a little bit. I'm like, where's my truck at? I know I parked it in the garage. I know I, I did. keys are gone. What's going on? I would maybe call April. Hey, what's going on? Where's my truck? And eventually maybe I would find out, oh, Tyler took it. His car wouldn't start. He had to go to work. Whatever. He took it. All right? Now, what would the, don't, don't answer this out loud, but be thinking, what would the consequences be for that? All right, he took my truck without asking. He had to go, he had a legitimate excuse. He didn't just take it to go goof around. He had to go somewhere. But what would the consequences be for that? Right? Got it? Now, let's look at the other side of that. Same situation. I wake up one morning, I go out there and look, and my truck is gone. Where's my truck? I need my truck. I can't find my truck. It's not here. I start asking around. Tyler's in his bed. I wake him up. Hey, where's my truck? I, I don't know, Dad. It was, I was there when I came in last night. Laney, where's my truck? I don't know, Dad. I, I, you know, I call April. Hey, where's my truck? I don't know. And through process of elimination, I figure out that my truck has been taken by somebody that I don't know, that I did not give permission to take my truck. Now, how would those consequences look when I find that person compared to the consequences that would happen if Tyler did it? You got that picture? 
Who would have a rougher time? <laughs> the person I didn't know that took my truck without permission or my son who took my truck without permission? And why is that? Why would that be the case? Here's why. Because family has privileges that strangers do not get. Family has privileges that strangers do not get. You see, to celebrate with Jesus, we must be willing to suffer with Jesus. So what about you? Are you part of the family of God? One of those passages I read said, uh, we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if we've submitted ourselves to him. Have you surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? And again, I'm not talking about a baptismal certificate. I'm not talking about a $2 bill signed by some preacher back in the day. I'm not talking about some profession of faith when you were five and you've never lived up to, that you've never pursued Christ. You're not currently trying to read his word, follow him, know how to live your life in obedience to everything he commands. Are you part of the family? Because if you expect to get privileges, you better be part of the family. And for us, we need to understand that being part of the family means we share in the sufferings of Christ. But if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we'll rejoice when his glory is revealed. There's going to be no rejoicing for those who did not know Christ when the judgment day comes. But for those of us who have surrendered our lives to him, who are committed to him and following him, it's going to be a party like you have never seen. You take the most joyful event in your life on this earth. I think of, I think of three. Specifically, taking out the spiritual, just focusing on the, the, the temporal. There are three events in my life that were more joyful than anything else. Number one, my wedding day. Specifically, when they opened the doors of the back of that church and I saw my wife in her wedding gown for the first time, that was one of the most joyful events I can, I can think of. Number two is the birth of my son. I remember the first time I held him. Number three is the birth of my daughter. I remember the first time I looked into her little eyes. Can I tell you something? When I see Jesus, those three joyous occasions are going to look very small. And whatever sufferings I've had to endure are going to be worth it. I just want to hear well done. Would you stand? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. <clears throat> We're not going to linger. But I do want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Suffering is an inevitability. Pain is part of the deal. But what will you do with it? How will you use it? 
my hope, my prayer is that you use pain and suffering in your life to steer you closer to Christ. And then when you're walking close with Christ, you use that pain and that suffering to exalt him and to point others to him. So maybe there's somebody here today that says, Brother Kevin, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that. I've never, I've never given my life to Christ. I want to do that today. I want to say publicly that I commit my life to Christ and I am going to follow him all the days of my life. If that's you, you can come down here in just a moment. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Brother Kevin, I, I have been through the suffering and it hardened me toward Christ. And, and just being honest, as I look across the room, I see a lot of people I know specific situations where you have experienced terrible suffering, pain. And maybe you've allowed that to drive you away from Christ and you're not walking with him like you should. And you want to rededicate your life today and come up here and do that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond in obedience to whatever God is calling you to do. So I'm going to pray. When I say amen, you move, okay? Let's pray. Father, this is your time. This is your day. Your word, your building, your people. God, I pray that you would move, that your Holy Spirit would have his way, and that if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision, that they would do that now. Lord, you are worth it. We give this time to you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.